The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In this corner, standing at over eight feet tall and weighing just under a thousand pounds, it's the Yeti from Dangani, the Skunk Ape from Shreveport, Bigfoot from Bremerton, it's Sasquatch! And in this corner, 50 feet long and weighing in at over 2,500 pounds, we have Nessie from Iverness, the sea creature from Scotland, the dinosaur of Drummadricket, the Loch Ness Monster! Sasquatch versus the Loch Ness Monster. Let's get it on. Which legend do you believe? Which creature is more ridiculous to imagine is real? Which creature's group of believers is more insane? Is there a snowball's chance in hell that either one of these cryptozoological legends possess even an ounce of truth? Does anyone, literally anyone, make a compelling case for either of their existences? Two of the most famous mythological creatures get sucked. Today on Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Welcome to the show, Time Suckers. Those of you who love to suck and get sucked, love you fans of the suckage. Love you keep on sucking. Uh, thanks so much for all the new subscriptions, ratings, and reviews. 300 i2 reviews bonus episode came out three days ago, and we're already halfway there to the 400 review bonus episode about Scientology. L. Ron Hubbard about to get sucked. Holy shit. Can't believe how much you guys suck. Uh, looking forward to today's lighter topic. Uh, I needed a murder breather. I don't know about you guys. I had more great updates come in as well this week, and I want to get right into a few with some time sucker updates. Updates? Get your Time Sucker updates! Today's first update is from Time Sucker Josh DeCruz. Uh, he had the subject line in his email sent to admin at timesuckpodcast.com. Hey, asshat. Got my attention, for sure. He says, hear this. 
the Jewish people were originally blamed for the plague due to the fact they didn't get it as often as other commoners. This is due to the fact that the religion called for a cleaner lifestyle, i.e. washing hands before eating. Many historians, myself included, believe that this is why they were blamed for the plague. Keep giving me that good suck, and you need to come to Atlanta. Uh, sweet. I am coming to Atlanta uh, this summer. Going to be at the Laughing Skull. I just got to get that date on my calendar. Been so busy sucking, I don't have time for anything else in my life. Um, yeah, man, that's, that, that is some great info. That's a great update. And uh, that's a great additional piece of, of knowledge for the bonus episode about uh, Germany in the 1930s, bonus episode three. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, so it wasn't just random uh, racism and things like, like I uh, uh, mentioned. It was also, yeah, that they, they were more... Uh, people were worried about them or, or concerned about why they weren't getting sick, and then they thought they had something to do with it. Okay, that, that, is, uh, that is awesome extra info. Thank you, Josh. Uh, more feedback uh, came in from that SoCal kid on iTunes, uh, on the iTunes reviews. He asked uh, if I could kick up the podcast volume so he can hear the show better in his truck. I am working on that now, uh, looking into how, uh, how to figure out how to increase the volume of the podcast as it shows up on iTunes and other places without distorting the audio quality. So thank you for bringing that to my attention. I know that has to be super annoying. I am uh, going to work on that. Uh, next one, Time Sucker and a Mediocre Time listener uh, with Tom and Dan. Uh, listener Daniel Bernard wrote me saying, Have you heard that Holmes' grandson apparently found a book in his parents' attic and realized that it belongs to Holmes? And after researching it, had a theory that some of the time uh, he had disappeared for a bit, he was in London and was the infamous Jack the Ripper. That would be a cool tie-in for a Jack the Ripper episode. Love the show. Thank you, BDM for life. Uh, that's awesome that you're a Tom and Dan fan. Uh, I, you know, I did look into that a bit. Uh, the book you're referring to is called Bloodstains. The author is Jeff Mudgett, the great, great, great grandson of H.H. H. Holmes, uh, which was you know uh, an episode just a few weeks ago. Uh, I, I am skeptical of that connection. Uh, there is a composite sketch of what uh, people believe Jack the Ripper looked like. It does resemble Holmes for sure, but it also resembles kind of a lot of dudes from that era with the big, thick mustache and just the way they kind of dressed. There are, are facial similarities, but also kind of like it doesn't. It, I don't see it and be like, "Oh my god, that's definitely him." Uh, and Holmes may have been in London during the killings. He might have been, but it's not. It's not certain. Uh, Jeff Mudgett submitted some handwriting samples from both Holmes and Jack the Ripper for review. Handwriting experts did confirm the likelihood uh, that they could stem from the same hand. There was that chance, but again, a lot of people wrote in a similar fashion back then as well. Uh, penmanship, there was more conformity with it. So, and, and, and they weren't like, uh, yes, this is definitely the guy. Also, there's just been there's been literally hundreds of suspects over the years, and a lot of people believe it was multiple killers. Uh, various murders attributed to the same killer as part of some sensationalistic journal journalism just to kind of sell papers and tabloids you know, during that during that time period which uh, makes sense to me based on the way journalists seem to be in general. Uh, I, I shouldn't say that. There's a lot of really good journalists out there. But there's also a lot of people who just uh, don't give a fuck about the truth and want to just, you know, sell some papers. Uh, I may do a Jack the Ripper uh, time suck down the road, probably will be, uh, doing one, and, and, and may explore this further then. So, so sorry, guys, but I, uh, I, don't, I just don't really buy it. To me, it comes across more like this Jeff Mudgett dude is just trying to sell some books more than uh, throw out some, any, some credible information. All right, one more update. Uh, this is an email from Time Sucker, uh, Timothy Dent. I'm not reading the whole thing, uh, just kind of a few excerpts. He sent me a, a fantastic email, very uh, well laid out. And the subject line is liberal arts education, and it says, hey, Dan, I just finished Aliens. I'm excited to see where this podcast goes. One thing that has been getting to me is your insults on a liberal arts education. You have made mention of your education many times and always in a manner that is less than glowing. 
I disagree with your stance on liberal arts because I think it is the only way we are going to raise ourselves up from the idiocy of a country we have become. Our current educational system teaches students to have a specific job, but not how to think critically. Uh, I do agree that happens a lot. Uh, high schools teach kids to take specific tests, and many colleges are more analog uh, analogous to programming drones uh, to programming drones to complete the task than to actually think for themselves. I see this constantly with kids out of college who are thrust into adulthood. They may know how to code a website, but they can't function when anything new is introduced that doesn't fit into the neat little box that college has taught them to rely upon. A good liberal arts education teaches people to think critically and analyze the world around them. A good graduate of the liberal arts has a greater ability to thrive in the workforce because they are more adaptable to change. They have the ability to learn or teach themselves rather than only accomplish the tasks that college has trained them for. I fully believe it is the lessening of the importance of the liberal arts and the humanities that has created the culture where we find ignorance acceptable. College trains people to focus on their little part of the world and to celebrate the fact that they are ignorant of anything else. I see, I see what you're saying there. I don't, know if it, I don't know if it teaches them to celebrate the fact they're ignorant, but yes, uh, agree totally about just focusing on one little part of the world and not seeing the bigger picture, which is a big problem. Uh, your education may have set you up for a neat little or may not have set you up for a neat little career in the workforce, but it did reinforce the curiosity that was instilled in you by talking about the National Geographic magazines you read when you were younger. Please don't bash the liberal arts anymore. Uh, it may not train people for a specific job or career, but it educates people on how to think for themselves, which I believe is more valuable. Tim. Well, thank you, Tim, and uh, totally correct in, in many ways on there. Uh, I, I want to apologize if I came across as bashing the entirety of my education, uh, if, if I've been doing that. Uh, I, I do believe. I do believe in the importance of critical thinking in a good liberal arts education, uh, very much so, and I think that is very important. I, I think, frankly, that a fucking common sense course should be a requisite for literally any degree. You, you should know uh, the, the manners of the culture that you live in, basic protocol and how to interact with other people. I'm just continually amazed. I, I talk about it a lot of my stand-up right now of just how fucking oblivious to basic civility so many people seem to be. It drives me fucking insane. You know, <laughs> I can use so many examples, but, but um, here's, here's my frustration with liberal arts education. Uh, I, I agree with the value of critical thinking, absolutely. What I don't agree with at all and am just vitriolically opposed to is the exorbitant cost. Because check check this out. Here's just some quick stats. I could I probably and, and you guys uh, many of you have actually been writing in about a time sick episode about the higher cost of, of higher education, and and I am going to do that at some point. But check this out. According to a uh, uh, a U.S. News and World Report article from 2015, liberal arts education costs increased 179 percent between 1995 and 2015 in a 20 year period. Out of state tuition and fees at public universities, where you can also get liberal arts degrees. Uh, increased 226% since 1995 to 2015. In-state tuition and fees at public national universities increased a staggering 296% during that same time frame. Also in that same 20-year period, the median U.S. household income increased from $52,664 to $56,000. $516. That's an increase of just over 7%. That extra four grand isn't going to do fucking shit when you're paying three times as much for a higher education. 7% wage increase compared to anywhere from 179 to 296% higher education tuition increase. That's what pisses me off. That is what makes, that's where my anger comes from. Good critical thinking skills can't pull everyone out of a crippling amount of debt that they've acquired by the age of 22 years old, before, before they've even tried to buy a new car or get a new house. 
right? I love my education. Love it. Learned a lot at Gonzaga. But I hate an educational system that makes it nearly impossible for millions of Americans to either afford it at all or uh, force them to take on so much goddamn debt they're never going to be able to buy a house, never going to be able to retire. That is fucked up. That's something we got to address uh, in society because it can't continue. You know, it can't it can't increase another three hundred percent in the next twenty years and have wages increase uh, less than ten percent again. Or there is going to be uh, there's going to be the poor. You know, they can't afford to go to school, and then there's going to be that tiny little, you know, where the middle class used to be as well, and there's that tiny little, you know, top of, uh, of the rich at the top who can afford to have a good education complete with critical thinking and, and other important life skills. And that, that's where I stand on that. That is where I stand on that. So, so Tim, thank you so much. Uh, sorry if, if I did not uh, kind of lay that out properly beforehand. Love my education. Hate how much it fucking costs. And that's, uh, and that's it for today's Time Sucker Updates. Thanks, time suckers. I needed that. We all did. All right, Sasquatch versus Loch Ness Monster. Let's, let's get it on. And, and again, today I'm recording this uh, episode remotely. If there's any noises, I'm doing the best I can to make this clear and uh, no distracting background noises. But if you hear any, you know, I'm in a hotel room. I've been traveling a ton lately touring, and this is, uh, this is the best I can do for this one. So, uh, so Sasquatch, I, I personally have never seen a Sasquatch. Let me start there. Never, never seen a Bigfoot. However, uh, I had a teacher in high school who told me and a few other classmates one day that he thought he'd probably seen one. The, the more I reveal about my upbringing, by the way, uh, the more I realize how truly backwoods Idaho was, <laughs> probably is where I grew up. One of my favorite teachers told me and a few other kids one day uh, back in Riggins, Idaho, that years earlier he had been elk hunting central Idaho. He was looking at a ridge when suddenly out of the tree line. A few hundred yards downhill, he saw what, uh, what he first thought to be an incredibly large man. Just walk out from the tree line alone and then walk right past some little rickety old shed that was out there, uh, some little leftover from some old homestead before disappearing back into the trees. Now, he was far enough away where he couldn't make out any like features, couldn't tell if the dude was you know, wearing clothes or some kind of pine forest ape wearing some fur, but he remembered noticing the man was definitely taller than the shed. So a little bit later, he walks down the hill, uh, he checks out that shed, and he says that it was at least eight feet tall. And he swore whatever he saw had to have been a, a full head taller than that. So, you know, he thinks he either saw some, you know, nine, ten foot mystery forest man or a Sasquatch. And, that, you know, and that's what he believes. Now, I should add, this particular teacher was rumored to have a fondness for some herb. You know, so he could have easily been a joint or two deep uh, into his hunting trip before he saw this thing. But his story stuck with me nonetheless, you know, because he's an authority figure in my young life, sorts of knowledge. And he, and he, he himself seemed to really believe it. I used to hope I would see a mystery ape myself one day walking around the woods of Idaho, uh, but it never happened. I also knew some kids uh, at Gonzaga who, who gave uh, other people some stories, some sighting stories that they probably still believe. Uh, three kids I went to college with at Gonzaga, uh, and again in Spokane, Washington, grew up just outside of Seattle in uh, Issaquah, Washington, is just east of Seattle. And when they were in high school, they used to stage a scene, I guess, on the side of the local highway during dark, rainy nights just for fun where a few of them would look and point into the woods, concerned like they were seeing something or hearing something scary. And then one of them, this, this kid Sean, he would dash out of the woods wearing this big full-body Sasquatch suit he had bought. Just, he would roar at, you know, towards his friends and then tear off back into the woods. And they would do this a bunch of times. And I guess cars would stop occasionally. Uh, occasionally some people would get out. I remember them telling me about a dude who got out with a scope in the area with a flashlight. I mean, if that shitty, blurry old Sasquatch photo that's, uh, that's so often brought up can convince some people that Sasquatch is real, I am positive that my old friends convinced some other people that they saw uh, some kind of Issaquah Yeti back back in the in the late 90s. 
uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's probably some people telling that story to this day. You know, just it was it was a, it was a dark and rainy night. Two young men were out there in the car, and uh, out of the car, they're on the, they're on the side of that lonely road, clear, clearly terrified by the rumblings of some beast in the forest. And I, I pulled over, I grabbed a, the flashlight that I keep in, in my console for just such an occasion, and I bolted out, not not even bothering to grab my jacket. I I knew something was amiss. No more than two seconds after departing my automobile, I saw it. Both terrifying and magnificent, intelligent green eyes. Easily eight feet tall, muscled, agile. A small made-from-China tag hanging from its right buttocks. Wait, wait, what? A tag? Hey, no, no, it was, it was a creature from primordial times. Lar- may have been like five or six feet tall. But large black fur covered its feet, which were also covering some old New Balance track shoes. Wait a minute, what, they were covering No, 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 it was a fantastic beast, I tell you. Large, impossibly powerful hands connected to an ape-like torso. A small band of human skin could be seen between hand and arm. Wait a minute, that sounds like costume gloves connected to the rest of the costume. No, it was, yeah, okay, I don't know. I, uh, anyway, it was a Sasquatch. I don't know, someone's, tell, someone's telling a story. So what the hell is a Sasquatch anyway? Well, uh, Merriam-Webster defines Sasquatch as a, quote, hairy creature like a human reported to exist in the northwestern U.S. and western Canada, and said to be a primate between 6 and 15 feet tall, also called Bigfoot. 15 feet tall? What the? No, that's ridiculous. Who has seen 15 feet tall Bigfoots? Or Bigfeets? The plural form doesn't work well for that animal. Uh, how has anyone not definitely found a creature uh, that big yet? You, you cannot be a 15-foot tall ape and be stealthy. Do you, understand how, do you understand how high 15 feet is? That's like Shaq standing on Yao Ming's shoulders. Actually, I should probably flip that. Yao would probably be crushed standing uh, if, uh, if Shaq was standing on him. It should be Yao standing on Shaq's shoulders. You know, dude, dude has to be at least 400 pounds, Shaq. But anyway, it's too tall. Let's agree if this thing is real, there is no way it's Yao atop Shaq tall. Urban Dictionary has a better Sasquatch definition. It says the official name of Bigfoot a creature popularly described as being human-like in form, but massive in size, appetite, and shoe size, hence the name. Often depicted as ape-like and bipedal, this hair-covered mammal is believed by arguably delusional hippies to be the last surviving link between modern man and our evolutionary past. It is believed that the creature resides in the dense forests of the American-slash-Canadian Northwest due to the unconfirmed sightings of this creature in years past. The reason theorists believe it has survived so long is due partly to its elusive, defensively aggressive isolationist behavior, but also its ability to hibernate for very long periods of time after feeding seasons. Arguably delusional hippies. Well played, Urban Dictionary. That is fantastic and probably incredibly accurate. You know, I, I like the hibernation part. At first when I read it, it seems cool. But then I was like, wait a minute. Uh, you know, because like, at first I was like, that's why we haven't found one. They're just, they're sleeping. They're sleeping in their, in their Sasquatch dens. They're hibernating, you guys. But then I was like, well, how come we haven't found a den? I mean, if these things are 8 to 15 feet tall, that is a big-ass den. That's not a squirrel den. That's not a chipmunk den. That's not a, that's not a beetle den. Actually, actually, I'm pretty sure that none of those creatures have dens. Maybe badgers have dens. I think they do. It's not, it's not a badger den, okay? It's not a badger den. It's a big den, and it would have a big entrance. You know, some spelunker out there would have eventually wandered in, into a Sasquatch den, thinking they discovered a new cave. Some prospector would have stumbled in, thinking they found an abandoned mine shaft. And then they're, then they're Sasquatch. They're Sasquatch, just sleeping. They can take pictures. They can take a selfie with a sleeping Sasquatch in the background. But it hasn't happened. So the hibernation part doesn't work for me the longer I think about it. Well, after, uh, after reading those de- definitions, like a total idiot, 
I actually Googled what exactly is a Sasquatch, looking for a definitive description of a creature that hasn't been defined. What the, what the hell was I thinking I was going to discover? No, ba- basically big mysterious ape is all you get. I don't know what I expected. You know, some, some big fo- Bigfoot doctor breaking it all down, all technical. Male Sasquatches are distinguished from females by darker fur, a bigger, bonier brow, and increased size, weighing up to 1,200 pounds. Males range between 7 and 15 feet tall, while females tend to stay between 6 and 10 feet tall. Also, males have deeper voices, larger feet, up to three feet in length, compared to no more than two and a half for females, and giant, hairless, veiny donkey cocks of up to a yard in length. Males are known to attract females by rhythmically thrusting their hips in such a manner that the penis spins around, clockwise, much like a blade on a helicopter. And they continue swinging their giant penis in a circle like that, sometimes also accompanying the thrusting and the spinning with some light, soothing whistling. While sounding strange, the ritual is known to have brought many a tear to a lumberjack's eyes. Of course there's no description. Of course, no. They're just big, hairy, elusive apes hiding out there in fucking woods like Harry and the Hendersons, which is a great family movie, by the way. It holds up. I just saw it again uh, not, not too long ago with the kids. Man, Lithgow, man. So good. So, uh, given up on a real definition, I tried to find the origins of this legend. Now... Reports uh, of a Bigfoot-like creature uh, have been published in the West since at least the 1920s, thanks to a collection of tales uh, by J.W. Burns, a government worker who retold the stories he had gathered from the Chehalis natives in a Canadian newspaper article, uh, many articles. Uh, However, the publication of a a dude named Shipton, his photos were initially what created U.S. interest in the creature. 1951, uh, some supposed uh, Yeti footprints become the real catalyst for interest in the hairy giants known as the Abominable Snowman. It's, it's interesting to note here the proximity between the cultural arrival of the Abominable Snowman in 1951 and the, and the UFO flying saucers in 1947. Apparently people were thinking about all kinds of weird shit after the horrors of World War II. Uh, in the case uh, with Bigfoot prior to the early 50s, it was likely assumed that any native stories that describe such animals were, were merely just legends. You know, But now there was a footprint. Now this dude Shipton in the Himalayas uh, you know, took this picture of supposed... Uh, you know, footprint from a Yeti, and it got, you know, publicized around the world, and now people are thinking that there's, you know, Yetis hanging around in the Himalayas and probably some Sasquatches in the Northwest, you know? Uh, And prior to that, there were, like, various wild men legends going back for centuries across the globe, like the, such as the the mythology in Britain, where where for some reason they seem to exclude things such as werewolves that have become popular in nearby France throughout the Middle, Middle Ages, now, were these wild men of England known as wood wooses, a cultural counterpart to these sur- supernatural werebeasts of other cultures and vice versa? Is wild man, you know, uh, the werewolf and Sasquatch, are, are their mythologies all kind of intertwined? Well, writing for Life's Little Mysteries, Natalie Wolchover put forth the idea that reports of such creatures might stem solely from our psyches. In 1996, ecologist Robert Michael Pyle noted that humans seem to have, quote, this need for some larger-than-life creature. Wolchover quotes Benjamin Radford of Skeptical Inquirer magazine, who notes that, quote, the idea of a wild, man-like other creature coexisting with us, but just beyond our understanding, is heavily rooted in mythology. So why do we believe that? Why do we need that? Uh, do, does part of us long for a simpler time, you know, when we could just forage and be free of modern life's responsibilities? Stop, stop worrying about health insurance, paying for college, edu- you know, tuition like I just described, social media. Computers, traffic, everything else we both love and, and have become beholden to for our modern happiness. Just worry about finding some fish, some nuts, some, some berries for some dinner, maybe a warm place to lay down and sleep, maybe dig ourselves a little 
little Bigfoot den, not be eaten by some other creature. You know, just keep it simple. No one really knows for sure, but that's my best guess at this moment. Now, now there's a, there are a bunch, like I said, of random ancient tales of giant men on every continent but Antarctica, obviously, because uh, no one lives in Antarctica because it sucks. Uh, it never gets uh, uh, above 60 degrees Fahrenheit, ever. Uh, in March, actually, uh, this month, temperature varies between negative 65 and negative 70 degrees Fahrenheit. Varies between fuck that uh, and seriously fuck that uh, for all of March. Anyway, uh, all the other continents have some sort of big, hairy, wild man mythology. But for today's episode, I'm just going to focus on some Native American examples. We'll keep it on one continent. Now, as the uh, early European explorers in the New World made contact with Native tribes, their attitudes and beliefs were recorded in notes and diaries. Man, people used to, man, people used to love a diary. Uh, I, I, I thought about having a diary as a kid. I think I had like seven entries, and then I got distracted with video games. Uh, but it's, it's these sources of information that we can, where we can find and understand more about Native American belief and Bigfoot, uh, like, like uh, Jose Mariano Mozino in his book, Noticia de Nutca, published in Spanish in 1792. He wrote, quote, I do not know what to say about the Matlocks, Sasquatch, uh, inhabitant of the mountainous districts of whom all have an unbelievable fear. They imagine his body is very monstrous, all covered with stiff black bristle, a head similar to a human, but much greater, sharper and stronger fangs than those of a bear, extremely long arms, and toes and fingers armed with long curved claws. His shouts alone, they say, force those who hear them to the ground, and any unfortunate body he slaps is broken into a thousand pieces, end quote. You know, you had me until, uh, possibly, you had me a little until broken into a thousand pieces. Too many pieces! That's too many pieces, especially for one slap. No one slaps that hard. Not even Chris Brown slaps that hard. See Rihanna for that cultural reference. Not even Tommy Lee slaps that hard. Go back further. See Pamela Anderson for that cultural reference. And no one shouts anyone to the ground. That's like some kind of Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter II secret death move or something. Okay. Another explorer, Paul Kane, talked about natives uh, being frightened of a secret race of beings. His entry, uh, March 27, 1847, reads, quote, When we arrived at the mouth of the Cattle Poodle River, 26 miles from Vancouver, I stopped to make a sketch of the volcano, Mount St. Helens. This is Vancouver, Washington. This mountain has never been visited by either whites or Indians. The latter asserts that it is inhabited by a race of beings of a different species who are cannibals and who they hold in great dread. These superstitions are taken from a man, they say, went into the mountains with another and escaped the fate of his companion who was eaten by the skookums or evil genie. I offered a considerable bribe to any Indian who would accompany me in its exploration but could find... No one hardy enough to venture there. End quote. Cannibal Sasquatches on Mount St. Helens. Get the fuck out of here. That's some silly boogeyman stuff. That's some, that's some campfire stories. However, uh, it does remind me of a badass pulp grindhousey western, 2015's Bone Tomahawk. Such a good movie that got almost no recognition whatsoever. Uh, Eli Roth did not direct it, but it feels like, um, it feels like a, a Western that Eli Roth, Eli, Roth, Eli Roth had directed. So if that sounds like something up your alley, man, check that out. I got tipped off to it uh, last year. Very happy to watch it. All right, here's another old tale. 1901, Mark King, one of the best timber cruisers. Uh, men who search out good, accessible st- strands of timber for the logging companies. Uh, he was in the, in the B.C. province, and he was known as a fine man with an enviable reputation for reliability. That's a quote. Enviable reputation for reliability. Oh, man. People are like, man, I wish I could be as fucking reliable as Mark King. He's like the most reliable dude of all reliable dudes I've ever met. Who says that? No one. Uh, anyway, he was working alone on Vancouver Island, supposedly as his Indian packers suddenly refused to accompany him. 
They were fearing what they called the monkey men. It was late afternoon when King sighted the, quote, man-beast. It was bending over a pool, washing some roots. On scene, a king gave a startled cry and ran swiftly up the hillside. King described the creature as, quote, covered with reddish-brown hair, and his arms were peculiarly long and were used freely in climbing and in brush running, while the trail showed a distinct human foot but with phenomenally long and spreading toes. Uh, sounds to me like an orangutan made it into Canada. I know that sounds crazy, but think about this. They didn't have PETA back then. They didn't have animal protection agencies. Not a lot of trade embargoes on exotic wildlife. Right? There was no endangered species protection, no permits you had to, you had to get. I mean, you wanted a monkey, you, you, you could buy or catch a monkey, and that was it. And now you own yourself a orangutan. Right? You want an orangutan, you, you, fuck, you go get it. Go get that monkey. You go get that orange son of a bitch. So I don't know. So maybe that happened. Maybe one of those escaped, or maybe he just made it up. In 1907, the captain of the steamship uh, Capilano, sailing up the British Columbia coast, suddenly found himself, uh, this captain found himself being, being hailed by a canoe load of Indians, frantic to get away from their small community of Bishop's Cove. They had been scared away by, quote, a monkey-like wild man who appears on the beach at night, who howls in an unearthly fashion between intervals of exertion at clam digging. At clam digging. Ah, let me get this straight. An entire village of Indians, who by 1907 would be fully armed with rifles, good rifles, they all desert their community to escape one monkey dude who has a serious hankering for some clams. That never happened. How is that even printed? That is such nonsense. Look, I'm not the bravest man in the world, or even above average, possessing above average braveness. But uh, I'm going to tell you this. I'm not going to let some little clam monkey kick me out of my home, okay? And if I'm with a group of armed men... We're not putting up with a lick of that clam monkey shit, okay? That ape can get the fuck out. Go find some clams somewhere else, you dickhead. Or at least stop howling while you dig up your clams. Look, what, what's with the howling? What is with the howling? Like, I get that you love some clams, but shut the fuck up about it. I love spaghetti and meatballs, but I'm not going to scream during breaks from eating it. Have some decency, you clam monkey. All right, here's my favorite Sasquatch story. Uh, I, I read this years ago. This is the tale of Albert Ostman. Uh, and there's so many other stories like this, but this is, this is the last one. I'm about Sasquatch. This is the best one. Uh, this guy's an old-time Canadian prospector and lumberjack. Uh, I don't normally lean on Wikipedia for any of this stuff, but uh, yeah, Sasquatch, you know. And, and, and it gives the best summary of his story. Check this out. In, a quote, in 1924, Albert Ostman, a lumberjack and tough woodsman. I like how they add tough there. Like, what, what makes him a tough woodsman as opposed to just a woodsman? Did, did he swing two axes at the same time? Uh, either both on the same tree, chopping down pines twice as fast as normal lumberjacks? Or did he chop down two trees at the same time? Some kind of ambidextrous Paul Bunyan. You know, man, what a legend. His name was Albert Ostman, man of the two axes, chopping down his timber with the strength of Sasquatches. Uh, anyway, this Ostman... He went, uh, he went to the area, quote, for vacation. Osman had heard stories about the man-beasts who supposedly roamed these woods, but refused to believe them. Of course he did. He's a rational dude. As Osman lay asleep one evening, a Sasquatch purportedly picked him up and carried him off while he was in his sleeping bag. <laughs> just whisked him off, right? Like, well, like a scoop of potatoes. Just snuck, him, just snuck his entire sleeping bag over his shoulder. What, what, what idiot sleeps completely inside of their sleeping bag? <sighs> okay, anyway. Ostman was carried in his sleeping bag across country for three hours by the Sasquatch. The Sasquatch dropped Ostman down on a plateau. Standing around him was a family of four of these creatures. 
Albert was kept captive by the Sasquatch. The captors were three adults and a child, which held Osman captive for six days. One of the Bigfoots was reported as being, oh, I guess that's how you said Bigfoots. That's the plural. Was reported as being eight foot tall. Osman did not use his gun on them as they had done him no harm. Well, you know, that seems fair. Why shoot him? Why, why even threaten shooting him? Why even shoot the gun in the air? You know, they didn't hurt him. They just kidnapped him. That's all. Just held him captive for a week. No big whoop. He stayed with the Bigfoot family a week. Osman ate, quote, sweet-tasting grass, end quote, that they'd gave him. What the, what the hell? According to Osman, the female Sasquatch washed and stacked leaves. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. The, the woman-ass Sasquatch has got to do the washing. Sure, Osman. Okay. Albert escaped by making the large male Sasquatch groggy by feeding him some snuff. Snuff. That's his story. Seriously? You know what snuff is? Snuff is pulverized tobacco that you inhale a little bump of to get a nicotine hit. First off, that is fucking gross. Snuff is so gross. Don't do snuff. Second, why, why did he have a bunch of snuff on him in his sleeping bag as he's sleeping when he gets kidnapped? So he just what, has like a pocket full of snuff? He has a little snuff pouch? To me, that sounds like a, a not well thought out lie he had to come up with quickly when somebody interviewed him about the whole ordeal. And he hadn't thought of you know, the escape part of it. Yeah, he's just like, well, I, I, uh, I, uh, I, I, I had some snuff, eh, in my sleeping bag, eh, and I, I used to, I used to sleep uh, with a small pouch of, of snuff hidden under a, uh, under uh, my, my taint, eh? I used, to, I used to call it my taint snuff. That's what I did. You know, some people used to think I'd say, this is funny. So, <laughs> some people used to think, used to think I'd say taint stuff, and, and I, that's when I would laugh. At that point, I would laugh, and I'd be like, oh, I didn't, I didn't. I didn't have taint stuff. I know. Come on now. I had, I had, I had, I had taint snuff, eh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Nonsense. Bunch of nonsense. Uh, he, <laughs> uh, and then it says, quote, he did not tell his story for more than 24 years after it happened for, be- for being fear of being thought of as crazy. As more Sasquatch stories appeared in the press, Albert decided to tell his story to a local newspaper in 1957. Because remember, 1951 is when the footprint came out. And now people are talking about it. Well, I watched an old uh, YouTube video of Albert being interviewed, and he seems full of shit. Uh, he lacks the passion I think one would have if they spent six goddamn days with a mythological family of beasts. That would be the best cryptozoological tale, best find of all time. And he talks about it uh, as if he had spent a week with a couple feral tabby cats. But a lot of people in the comment section uh, seem to believe him. Don Redleaf on YouTube says, I've read the whole story of Mr. Osman's encounter in his own words, and I gotta say, I honestly think it's a true story. I don't believe the man is lying at all. Call me crazy. I will. Uh, but I believe Osman. Too much detail that someone back then just didn't know about. Like, like what he seemed to explain as a saginal crest, barrel-chested, padded feet. No way he made or, or dreamt it, just my opinion. No, he read about it in other Sasquatch stories. All right? All right, Don Redleaf. Kai Schooner says... I've seen tracks myself near my hometown at a lake called Sager Lake. I think, I'm guessing Minnesota, Indiana. That's where some Sager Lakes are. Uh, you may not believe me, I don't, but I know that there were Bigfoot tracks. Each track was about two or three feet apart. Uh, and the small ones were about a foot apart, and the big ones were, I guess, more apart. And both of them sunk in deeply. Well, there, well, there you go. There you go. It's decided. Nicholas Foddy says, well, he passed three lie detector tests and was questioned by a police detective who wrote an affidavit stating that he could not find one inconsistency. Well, I think he did the old George Costanza thing from Seinfeld. You know, it's not a lie if you believe it. That's how you pass a lie detector test with nonsense. You become crazy enough to think it's the the truth. I remember one time uh, under the influence of an enormous amount of LSD, I thought 
for sure. I could have passed a lie detector test about how um, I had been in a coma for many years and that nobody I knew was real. They were just psychological constructs planted in my subconscious by scientists trying to get secrets from me. That was my reality for a little while. Okay, Legs Like That on YouTube says, Albert Osman is actually my great, great uncle. Although I never got to meet him, I'm very proud to be related to this man. Our family never trusted his story, but I'm so glad to see here there are many people out there who don't call his story a hoax. <laughs> hmm, family not believing him, not a good sign. Uh, to me, it sounds like you file the Albert Osman story under the crazy uncle uh, drawer. That's where you put it. You put it. You open up the crazy uncle drawer, and you throw Albert Osman, his, all his fucking paperwork in that. And if you dig further into his old interviews about the incident and articles, uh, his story does get even harder to believe. He said this all happened back in 1924. Uh, he was born in 1893, so he's 31, okay? So you're 31, and you're camping way out in the woods by yourself. Bullshit. Who does that? Weirdos do that. Yeah, I guess I shouldn't say bullshit. I believe he did that. I believe he did that. But I also believe he's a weirdo, right? Because, you, you know, I get it. You, you hike by yourself. That's normal. But according to Albert, he set out to take a vacation by himself in the woods after finishing work on a construction project. And he was going to be out there for a week or so. What? Uh, he also said he heard there were some lost gold mines in British Columbia. And he thought it'd be fun to find a lost gold mine. Again, who does that? Weirdos do that at 31 years old. That's something you dream about like when you're 12. That's exactly the kind of shit I dreamed about growing up in rural Idaho when I was playing in the woods all the time. But then... If you're a normal person, you start having sex, you discover beer and drugs and video games and other cool things, and you stop thinking about finding Bigfoot. Very unusual to be alone at 31 also, by the way, 1924. That's the era when people had families, man. Almost everyone had families, and they started them young. You know, unless they were a completely socially undesirable nut job. <laughs> it's not like Albert was out clubbing, doing some Snapchat, still at 31. No, he was looking for fucking old lost gold mines and hiking uh, for a week on, by, him, by himself in the woods like a hermity lunatic. In one interview, Albert said that he took a steamship to Lund, British Columbia, and hired an old Indian for a guide. Man, this just keeps getting better. He found a wise old Indian to take him exploring. <laughs> the old Indian told him about another loner white man who had frequented the saloon in Lund. Lund, by the way, is like a little coastal 200-person nothing town uh, 125 miles north of Vancouver remote and tiny, the kind of place where a weirdo goes to make up a story like this. Well, this other loner white dude apparently would show up at the saloon with a new bag of gold every few weeks that he'd found in one of these lost mines. Uh-huh. Well, that sounds reasonable. Suddenly, he disappeared, though, but the local natives, they knew what happened. They knew that an ancient race of giants living in the area had gotten hold of him. Those damn pine apes had scooped up another prospector, dagnabbit. And then that old Indian told him that not many Sasquatches existed anymore, but there were still some around. You know, because apparently he checks on him or something for him to know that. And then Albert, he hiked off by himself and got himself kidnapped by those very same Sasquatches who for some reason fed him sweet, sweet grass, sweet, tasty grass vittles instead of killing him. Guess he's some kind of Bigfoot whisperer. And then he didn't tell anybody about it for 30 years. Get out of here. I'm giving Albert an A-plus for imagination, especially the snuff escape part. But I'm giving him an F for any truth to that story. Okay. So now uh, let's, let's talk about Sasquatch interest in the States really taking off in the late 1960s when the infamous blurry photo surfaces. That's the d definitive Bigfoot promo shot. All right. This is the picture that most people think of when they think about Bigfoot. And it was, uh, it was a video still from some footage shot by amateur filmmakers Roger Pattison and Bob Gimlin back in 1967 in Humboldt County, California, about 35 uh, miles south of the Oregon border. 
about 18 miles east of the Pacific Ocean in the woods around Bluff Creek. Now, the film lasts around a minute. It was shot on a 16-millimeter camera that Patterson had rented and then kept longer than the rental contract allowed. He was almost charged with theft for it. little insight into Patterson's character that we'll learn more about in a bit. I've seen the footage on YouTube, and to me, it just looks like a, like a dude in a gorilla costume walking across a creek bed being filmed by either a moron who doesn't know how to work a camera, a camera he just rented for long enough uh, to clearly know uh, he, sh- he should be able to use it, you know, or he's being filmed by a con man who knows that if he makes it shaky and keeps the footage short, it's going to be harder for people to disprove it. And this Patterson guy, the main guy behind this film, has a sketchy history. He had taken off down to California in his youth to try and sell some wackadoodle hoop toy invention of his like a maniac. Uh, he'd self-published a book titled uh, Do Abominable Snowmen of America Really Exist in 1966? Started shooting an actual indie film about cowboys hunting big feet, Bigfoots, <laughs> in 1967, uh, which means there's a very good chance he'd hired someone to play Bigfoot and he had a costume already. He's a nut. It's not like he was some steady Eddie accountant who was taking his annual camping trip with his family and then a forest monkey just walked through the, their campground. That would be much more believable to me. In 1995, almost three decades after the Patterson-Gimlin filming, Greg Long, a technical writer for a technology firm who had a hobby of investigating and writing about Northwest mysteries, shed more light on this film. He started interviewing people who knew Patterson, some of whom described him as a liar and a con man. Marvin, uh, Jerry Lee Merritt, Pat Mason, Glenn Colling, Bob Swanson, all suffered financially from their dealings with him, as well as 21 different small local creditors who sued Patterson via a collection agency. Vilma Radford claimed Patterson never repaid a loan made to him uh, for a Bigfoot movie Roger was planning. Uh, Radford had a corroborative evidence. He had a $700 promissory note for expenses in connection with filming of Bigfoot, America's Abominable Snowman. So he was filming this, trying to film some movie about Bigfoot. Uh, Patterson agreed to uh, repay her $850 plus 5% of any profits from the movie. In 1974, Bob Gimlin, the dude who helped him film The Blurry Beast, sued Patterson's widow because Patterson died of cancer in 1972 at the age of 39. Uh, And this guy Gimlin claimed uh, he had not received his one-third share of the film's proceeds. He won the case in 1976. You know, Patterson, by the way, did go to his grave claiming the film was real. Uh, Gimlin himself never admitted it was fake, but of course, of course not. You're not going to admit to a lie or a con when the lie or con is profitable. And the film was profitable, you know, made an undisclosed amount of money. Uh, another author uh, who wrote uh, some Bigfoot stories, Marion Place, you know, she said uh, about Patterson that he, you know, he really wanted to make this, this, this uh, uh, movie. He wanted to see some kind of Bigfoot because if he did, quote, if he succeeded, he would be famous and rich, end quote. So here you have an odd guy who's fascinated with Bigfoot, who, who's an amateur filmmaker, amateur inventor, probably a con man of sorts, an unscrupulous dude who wants to be rich and famous uh, and wants to be rich and famous for discovering Bigfoot. And that's who finds Bigfoot bullshit. This was his opportunity to make some Bigfoot money, make some Bigfoot bucks. And he did make some. He allegedly made around 75000 in, in one transaction when the BBC used his footage for a Sasquatch docudrama. He appeared on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, appeared on Merv Griffin to talk about his, uh, his film. You know, his little, well, his, his, his documenting the, the, the existence of Bigfoot. And, you know, they wrote about him in Reader's Digest, which was big back then. He, he got his 15 minutes of fame, but I don't believe for a second he saw Bigfoot. Because even more evidence points out to the whole thing being a fraud. Uh, 36 years after the fact, a dude named Bob Hieronymus finally fessed up. This was a neighbor of Gimlin, one of the guys involved. Finally fessed up to being part of the ruse. He admitted to having donned a gorilla costume and appearing in the 1967 footage of Bigfoot. The, the Washington Post reported that Hieronymus' uh, confession in a book 
Uh, it was The Making of Bigfoot, written by paranormal investigator Greg Long. Long says he spent four years investigating the 60-second film and the people behind it. He traced the Bigfoot costume to Philip Morris, a North Carolina gorilla suit specialist, who says he sold it for $435 to an amateur documentary maker named Roger Patterson. So there you go. Now, a lot of, now, a lot of Bigfoot believers have poured a lot of energy into disproving uh, Bob's story about wearing the suit says he's lying, says he had nothing to do with the film, just trying to get his 50 minutes of fame also. I don't know, maybe. But why wait so long to confess? And, and, and why is the random gorilla suit specialist lying? Why is there a man in North Carolina specializing in making gorilla suits? Why is he named after the largest cigarette manufacturer in U.S. history? So many questions. There's always a lot of questions when you venture into the paranormal. So, so let's recap. Although we focused almost exclusively on North America, there have been legends and supposed sightings about large, hairy, wild, non-human bipeds all around the world going back for centuries. Canadians living in British Columbia seem especially susceptible to making up stories about Sasquatches. Some Sasquatches howl and love clams so much, like more than you could ever possibly love clams. Albert Osman is a complete and utter lunatic. Some old mountain climber thought he found a Yeti footprint in the 1950s in Himalaya, and then everyone started wondering about new types of giant apes. The dude who shot the go-to proof of Bigfoot was an amateur filmmaker who dreamed of making a fortune off discovering Bigfoot and probably bought a gorilla costume from a gorilla suit specialist named Philip Morris, who may have been some type of heir to the Philip Morris tobacco fortune, which is the only way I can imagine him having the time uh, and money to become a gorilla suit specialist living in North Carolina. Hmm. All seems a wee bit sketchy to me, I have to say. Now, now let's see... Let's see how these sketchy tales stack up against Nessie. Let's find out how the Loch Ness Monsters stories stack up against those of Sasquatch. First off, let's get to the definition. What is the Loch Ness Monster? Merriam-Webster uh, doesn't even bother defining the Loch Ness Monster. Uh, but when you, when you Google Merriam-Webster and Loch Ness Monster, it does reference, uh, it does come up under the definition uh, of hoax. It's used as hoax, which is our fancy pants word of the day. Hoax, noun or transitive verb. A transitive verb is a verb that can take a direct object. In other words, it is done to someone or something. Most verbs are transitive verbs. Hoax used as a verb is defined as to trick into believing or accepting as genuine something false and often preposterous. For example, Samantha was hoaxed by a Nigerian email scammer giving her last $10,000 to someone who went by the name of Reverend Dr. Johnson Williams who claimed to work for the United Nations Compensation Payment Unit, New York, but actually worked at a Burger King in Lagos, Nigeria. Hoax used as a noun is defined as, quote, an act intended to trick or dupe, end quote, or, quote, something accepted or established by fraud or fabrication, end quote. For example, Scoots McGee had created an elaborate hoax. He had convinced a co-worker at JoJo's Quartz Emporium that he rode a chubacabra to work, through a combination of excellent Photoshop skills and having a highly gullible co-worker. In reality, he pushed himself to work on a Razor scooter he'd borrowed from his sister, which was how he got his nickname, Scoots. So that's Merriam-Webster. Now, Urban Dictionary defines the Loch Ness Monster as a mythical creature said to live in a lake in Scotland, and also as a, quote, huge turd. <laughs> the huge turd definition really made me laugh when I read it. And then I looked up from a laptop at Starbucks when I was doing the research for this and totally creeped out some lady who I happened to make eye contact with as I was laughing about a huge turd. 
Uh, when you go to Wikipedia, it states that in folklore, the Loch Ness Monster, or Nessie, is an aquatic being which reputedly inhabits Loch Ness in the Scottish Highlands. Highlander! There can be only one. Uh, it is similar to other supposed lake monsters in Scotland and elsewhere, and is often described as being large in size with a long neck and one or more humps protruding from the water. Now, when did this uh, interest in Loch Ness uh, get going? It started uh, from a shitty photo, similar to Sasquatch. Uh, the Museum of Hoaxes website, hoaxes again, huh? uh, gives some great information about the infamous Surgeon's Photograph, the Surgeon's Photograph of 1934. Now, so that modern history of Loch Ness begins in 1933 when a new road is completed along the northern shore of Loch Ness, providing easy access with an unobstructed view of the water. Uh, soon after this, a couple spotted a, quote, enormous animal in the loch. Uh, the Ivernus Courier wrote up their sighting, describing what they saw as a monster. Intense media interest soon follows, and thus uh, the name is born, the legend, the Loch Ness Monster. Now, later in 1933, the Daily Mail, uh, taking advantage of the Nessie craze, they hire a famous big-time hunter, Marmaduke Wetherill, to travel up to the lock to investigate the sightings and to find the monster, if he could. Although he found no monster, in December 1933, he did locate what appeared to be its tracks, enormous footprints on the shore of the lock leading into the water. Unfortunately, when researchers from the National History Museum examined the tracks, they determined they had been made with a dried hippo's foot, of the kind that were popularly used as umbrella stands. Humiliated, Wetherill retreated from public view. Ha! I, I do not know what's funnier, that the dude's name is Marmaduke? that he used a dried hippo's foot to make uh, Loch Ness monster tracks, or that back in 1934 you know, or 1933, they were just casually tossing around hippo feet on the bottom of lamps. What in the hell? Like, even if an animal wasn't rare or exotic or endangered, why would you want to use its foot for a lampshade? That's so gross. Just having some preserved dead flesh at the bottom of your lamp. Actually, <laughs> actually right as I say that, I realize that I'm wearing dead uh, cow skin on my feet and that I've worn uh, a dead cow skin jacket. Leather sounds so much better than dead cowskin, doesn't it? Why do, why do I add dead to that description? Like I'm worried that if I just said cowskin, you would somehow think I was wearing a live cowskin jacket, a, a living cowskin jacket. Man, a living cowskin jacket, now that's a fucking jacket. You don't, you don't fuck around with a guy wearing a, wearing a living cowskin jacket because he is an evil supervillain. He's the flayer. He flays your skin and then wears it as a jacket trophy until he's tired of your precious life. Oh, Marmaduke, look what tangent you set me off on. Okay, a few months later, the Loch Ness Monster again makes headlines when a highly respected British surgeon, Colonel Robert Wilson, comes forward with a picture that appeared to show a sea serpent rising out of the water of the loch. Wilson claimed he took the photograph early on the morning of April 19, 1934, when he was driving around the north shore of Loch Ness. He said he noticed something moving in the water, stopped his car, took a photo, and for decades, this is the, one, this is the photo you've seen of Loch Ness Monster. This was considered to be the best evidence of the existence of this creature. But then Wilson himself refuted, uh, he refused to have his name associated with the photo. So then it became known as the surgeon's photo. Now, for years, skeptics were sure the photo was somehow a hoax, but no rigorous studies of the images were conducted until 1984, when Stuart Campbell analyzed the photo in an article for the British Journal of Photography. Campbell concluded that the object in the water could have only been two or three feet long at most, and that it was probably an otter or marine bird. He suggested it was likely that Wilson knew this to be the case. And now Marmaduke strikes again. As it turns out, Campbell was wrong. All right, he was wrong about the what he thought this photo was uh, supposed to be like a little little marine bird or animal. Um, it was not a form of marine life in that photo. It was a toy submarine outfitted with a sea serpent head. 
This was revealed in 1994 when Christian Sperling, before his death at the age of 90, confessed to his involvement in a plot to create the famous surgeon's photo, a plot that involved both Marmaduke, damn you Marmaduke, and Colonel Wilson. Marmaduke! Dang it, I was super excited for a second to read that the photo I had always mentally associated with the Loch Ness Monster might be real. Damn you and your crazy British name. Any Marmadukes listening? Uh, I was going to apologize, but I, I don't, actually. You know better than anybody how dumb your name is. And I hope you go by Duke. And I hope you give your parents some shit for naming you Marmaduke, even after the Marmaduke cartoon came out of that big stupid dog back in 1954. Well, according to Sperling, uh, he had been approached by Wetherill, uh, his stepfather, who wanted him to make a convincing serpent model. Sperling did this, and the model was then photographed in Loch Ness. The picture was then uh, given to Wilson, whose job it was to serve as a, a credible frontman for the hoax. Apparently, Wetherill's, uh, you know, Marmaduke, his motive was revenge. Oh, Marmaduke's revenge. Since he was still smarting, he was still a little upset about his humiliation during the, the hippo track incident. He said, we'll give them their monster. His son, his son later remembered him saying... In the original version uh, of the image, the diminutive size of the Nessie model in relationship to the lock can be seen. And I, and I have both I have both pictures available, the cropped photo that we are familiar with and the original image that's uncropped at timesuckpodcast.com. And in the original image, you, it looks, yeah, you, you can obviously tell it's a tiny little thing. All right, well, then in 2012, a new photograph of the monster emerges. In August of 2012, a photo taken by George Edwards was initially billed as the strongest photographic evidence of the creature. But then in October, George Edwards, a cruise boat operator, said the picture taken near Urquhart Castle uh, and beamed around the world by fans of Scotland's mysterious creature was just, quote, a bit of fun. And he was happy to join, quote, a rogues gallery of hoaxers. Now, when he published the image, he claimed it had been verified by a team of U.S. military monster experts. As if we have that. That's so fucking great. I wish we had that team. I want to be on the team of U.S. military monster experts. Uh... But then he realized, he said that, that was another you know part of the fabricated story. He said, there's no doubt all these pictures are fake. He told this to the Scotsman. Anyone who comes on my boat, I will tell them what I did and why I did it. The reason I did it was to put Loch Ness truly and firmly back on the map again. Yeah, it's his livelihood, man. He's got to get more, uh, got to sell more Loch Ness tours. But why did he finally reveal it was fake, though? If he's trying to sell more tours, maybe the men in black got him. Hmm? Hmm? Conspiracy nuts? Maybe they got him. Okay, here's the origins of Loch Ness, because I did wonder, like, where did this legend start uh, originally? Well, the first recorded account of an eyeball-to-eyeball confrontation and sighting, first sighting as well, uh, with the water serpent is the story of Irish saint, St. Columba. St. Columba, in the 6th century, St. Columba, so the story goes, ordered one of his monks to swim across the loch and fetch a boat in 565 A.D. The Irish monk had just encountered local residents uh, burying a man by the river Ness. Uh, they explained that the man was swimming in the river when he was attacked by a water beast, which mauled him and dragged him underwater. Although they tried to rescue him in a boat, he was dead. Then the monster appeared and rushed at the swimming monk that you know, St. Columba had sent out there, uh, roaring in a most frightening way. Columba cried out to the monster, Go no further, nor touch the man. Go back. Well, then the monster is said to have stopped immediately, turned around and fled. And then the locals thanked St. Columba and, and coined the, the incident uh, miraculous. Uh, a miracle. It was miraculous intervention. Yeah, miraculous is right. If by miraculous you mean fucking full of shit, get out of here. None of that ever happened. What a great story. I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of people started, you know, seeing the beast uh, when that tale got shared around. Man, did lies ever get out of get out of hand back in medieval times when there was no logical people around to debunk them? Okay. So here's some other. There's there's other Scottish monsters. Loch Ness is not the only Scottish loch monster. Other locks, a lock being like an arm of the sea, especially when narrow or partially landlocked, or just a large body of enclosed fresh water, like a very large body, 
uh, are said to have been witnessed over the years. Just south of Loch Ness is the much smaller uh, Loch Oich, where a beast with a shaggy dog-like head is seen to have been seen, said to have been seen. Uh, Loch Lochy, that's a creative name. Somebody just gave up on that one. Ah, just fucking call it Loch Lochy. Uh, is b- better known as the haunt of Lizzie. First reported as being sighted in 1929, Lizzie is said to have three humps and resemble a, a plesiosaur, uh, a description sometimes used for Nessie. A plesiosaur is a large extinct marine reptile of the Mesozoic era, that era of geologic time from about 251 to 65 million years ago, uh, with a um, broad, flat body, large paddle-like limbs, typically uh, a long, flexible neck, small head. I'll have a photo up of that as well on timesightpodcast.com. Like Nessie, no sighting of Lizzie has ever been confirmed. There's also tales that uh, in Loch Quiak, uh, which like Lochy and Oik is in uh, Lochaber. Has, man, they just fucking throw around that term Loch all over the highlands. Has a plesiosaur-like beast in it. Quiak's monster also has been described as a water horse or a kelpie, a serpent with a horse's head. I got creative on that one. Uh, Loch Acraig, or Acaig, Arcaig, there we go, Arcaig, west of the Great Glen, has a lake horse as well. Um, it is also claimed in another loch, Loch Marie, uh, that there's this thing that looks like a slug pig. And, and monsters are not exclusive even to the highlands. Or the freshwater locks. Apparently, Loch Lamond has a beast reported to resemble a plesiosaur, but has also been described as looking like a large crocodile. So many locks. So much fucking locks suck, you guys. Uh, so many weird lake monsters. I don't know if I believe any of it, but at the same time, I don't want to swim in any of those locks now. I'll be a little honest. I'd be a little nervous. Some sea serpent is going to grab, grab hold of me. Well, okay. So here's a possible explanation for all these locks. Richard Freeman of Devonshire-based Center for Fortune Zoology has visited both Loch Ness and Loch Morar and believes the sightings can be explained. He thinks it's all about uh, eels. He said the idea of a prehistoric reptile in these cold northern lakes is a non-starter. However, the monsters could be some large kind of fish. I think the best bet are giant sterile eels. The common eel swims out to the Sargasso Sea to breed and then die. The baby eels follow scent trails back to their ancestral freshwaters, uh, freshwater homes, and the cycle begins again. But sometimes a mutation occurs and the eel is sterile. These stay in freshwater and keep on growing, known as Enuk, uh, uh uh, eunuch, sorry, known as eunuch eels. No one knows how they get or uh, to be that big. Now, uh, he says, Mr. Freeman said, two Canadian tourists came across a 25-foot-long eel floating in shallow water off Loch Ness in February 2004. However, uh, bullshit sniffer-outers like Penn and Teller have said that the giant eel theory is also total bullshit, that there's no evidence that a freshwater eel can get that big. No giant eel anywhere near 25 feet long has ever washed up on shore, been definitively found, However, of all the crazy things I've read about uh, during this episode, giant eel seems the most plausible. Not saying I believe it, but if I had to believe something, I would believe a giant eel, which to me is just as scary as a fucking sea monster. After doing a little more digging on the eel angle, I thought for a second I'd found one of these monsters. So hard not to get tricked when you're constantly reading about all this hoaxes. Uh, an eel longer than some buses was reported to have been caught off the coast of Britain in May 2015. It was supposedly a 20-foot-long conger eel weighing 131 pounds, uh, after it was gutted and caught off, off Plymouth and Devon, Devon uh, fishermen caught it by mistake after it became tangled in their trawler's nets. Supposedly it was like 160 pounds before it was disemboweled. And you look at the pictures, 160 pounds doesn't do it justice. It looks massive. It looks like a sea serpent, like a young sea serpent. Well, uh, it turns out it's a trick. Just like the surgeon's photograph in 1934, they used perspective to make it seem huge. It was actually only about seven feet long, which is still kind of big and scary to me. That's still, you know, big and scary. Uh, you've probably heard about sonar, you know, proof of Nessie, you know, using sonar to find this beast. Yeah, I've heard about that, uh, about Nessie. A, a, a nickname, by the way, I was dumb enough to Google to try and figure out how, how it became Nessie. 
because it's Loch Ness. They just added E. Nessie. That's how it's obvious. Okay. Uh, so again, various supposed sonar evidence I thought was around, but but turns out nothing convincing. In early 2016, Konesburg Maritime used a Munin drone equipped with sonar imaging technology to do a little image map of the bottom of the famous loch. It has been called the most in-depth survey of Loch Ness ever. It was carried out. It took them two weeks to do it, and it found no signs of the mythical monster, no signs of a lair it supposedly was in. Dang it. It did find an old boat. It found an old boat used in the filming of the 1970 uh, film The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes. Found that at the bottom, so that was kind of cool. Well, before this latest sonar test, uh, there were rumors that underwater tunnels and trenches connected the various locks around there, and that's why the creature would show up in different places. Nah, turns out nothing. Just a couple interesting, uh, uh, you know, theories and some clever photographs. But we're not done with Nelly info. Got a little bit more Nelly info, a little bit more Bigfoot info with some weird facts. Weird facts. Number one, Loch Ness really is a big enough body of water to hide sea monsters. It is around 750 feet deep, holds more water than in all of the lakes and rivers of England and Wales combined. That's a huge and mysterious body of water. No wonder why people started speculating a giant creature was hiding in it. Number two, in 2014, Peter Weimer, owner of the Wee Wan Chu Cottages on uh, Chautauqua Lake, New York, approached government officials on October 22nd asking for the creation of the first ever legislature enforcing uh, or putting Bigfoot on an endangered species list, claiming that there have been 17 confirmed sightings of Sasquatch in the area. Uh, there, since 2011 alone, he uh, brought a whole bunch of uh, documentation to the legislation or legislators, uh, pulling in historical documentation of the first sightings from the early 19th century all the way to plaster casts of foot impressions found to supposedly belong to Bigfoot. Weimer was able to show the local folklore and even modern eyewitness accounts he was able to show that those supported his argument. Though the lawmakers did hear his plea out, uh, they also visibly rolled their eyes and covered their mouths in laughter. Sasquatch was not added to the endangered species list. I mean, what a bummer. That would have been hilarious. Number three, around one million people visit Loch Ness each and every year, generating around 25 million pounds for the local economy. And 25 million pounds of money a year guarantees we're bound to see more quote-unquote evidence of, of Nessie's existence. Number four, if you are confronted by Bigfoot, offering it food will provide you with an 80% chance of survival, while crying will provoke the animal to punch you in the face, according to Bigfoot Finder, a website dedicated to spotting the creature. A website that sounds hilarious. Good for them. Have some fun with that. And number five, this is the best one. The Thatcher government seriously considered an official Loch Ness monster hunt. There was even talk of using dolphins from America to help look for it. How Fucking great would that have been. American dolphin trainers hired by Margaret Thatcher and the British government to use their dolphins to find a Scottish sea monster. That's a movie. I picture George Clooney playing the head dolphin trainer in what, what would have been an epic comedy, probably directed by Wes Anderson, also starring Bill Murray as some American who'd moved to Scotland years before to captain a Loch Ness sightseeing boat. Now he's some drunk weirdo. Ah, too good. Too good. That's some fun weird facts. Weird facts. So that is Sasquatch versus the Loch Ness Monster. Which legend do you believe? I'm going to say neither, but I think Sasquatch is more believable because there's, there's still a very small chance that he could be out there hiding somewhere. A lot of woods to hide in, you know? The Loch Ness, that's been examined pretty thoroughly. Uh, which creature is more ridiculous to imagine is real? I, 
I think Sasquatch is more ridiculous, though. Even even though the lake has been searched thoroughly, uh, a big sea, sea creature of some sort, a sea monster, still feels more, I don't know, normal to me or more possible in a weird way than a bunch of giant ape humanoids hiding out in the woods somewhere snatching the occasional prospector. Which creature's group of believers is more insane? Oh, Sasquatch, without a doubt. I mean, there are some Loch Ness believers and people who have fun with the legend. Seems a little more tongue-in-cheek with most of them. Uh, but there's a lot of people who have dedicated their lives to hunting Sasquatch. There's a show on Animal Plant called Finding Bigfoot that has been running since 2011. Keeps getting renewed. I haven't watched it myself because they haven't fucking found him. You find him and I'll watch, okay? How many episodes can you make that end with, oh, oh, man, I thought, I thought we had him. Dang it. Is there a snowball's chance in hell that either one of these cryptozoological legends possesses even an ounce of truth? Probably not. Sorry, guys. It seems highly unli- unlikely that e- either legend is true. No definitive physical evidence has ever been found of, of either. But what a great day if it ever happens. I am rooting for it to happen. I mean, if someone's going to find one, by the way, I, I do hope they find Bigfoot. I hope they catch one alive. Can you imagine how cool that would be? Some Sasquatch got taken down with like a tranquilizer dart. We have some YouTube videos of its capture. You can go to the zoo, look at it, check out the Bigfoot exhibit, watch it scratch its ass under some pine trees in some enclosure. Actually, the more I think about that, it makes me a little sad. I think about Harry and the Hendersons, and I think about Harry getting sad, uh, you know, that people are going to not understand him. But, you know, but hey, if we found one, let's just take care of it really well. Let's, let's you know, let's make sure it gets some steak. Maybe, maybe some kind of hot female gorilla to make love to. Some daily foot massages. Maybe a horse to ride around on. It's like some kind of Planet of the Apes type king. I don't know. If I missed a compelling case for the existence of either, you let me know. You let me know. I'll throw it in a Time Suckers uh, update. But for now, it's time for some top five takeaways. Time Suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, modern interest in Sasquatch started with the alleged footprint of a Yeti found in the Himalayas in 1951. Google Earth satellites haven't found a single maker of these footprints since it launched in 2007. Where are you hiding, abominable snowmen? Number two, Albert Osman wasn't kidnapped by a family of Sasquatches in British Columbian wilderness in 1924. However, he may have discovered a time machine because crack cocaine didn't show up until 1984 and he was clearly smoking some crack to come up with his snuff Sasquatch escape tale. Number three, even saints lie. Sixth century Irish Saint Columba supposedly yelled at Nessie, go no further, no touch the man, go back, saving one of his monks from attack from a sea serpent. If you think that happened, please email me at admin at timesuckpodcast.com. There are a variety of fake things that I'm going to charge very much to sell you because apparently you'll believe anything. Number four, giant 25-foot-long freshwater sterile eels are probably not a real thing. However, I'm not sure I can ever swim in a lake again if it has eels in it. They are incredibly scary looking, uh, even when they're only five or six or seven feet long. I'm not even afraid of snakes, but an underwater snake is a whole other beast. I feel like one could bite off my penis if, if it wanted to as I'm swimming on the top of the water. You know what I mean? And I don't want it to do thinking about that. So even though I didn't uncover any scary myth as probably being real, I did make myself nervous about a new thing. Number five, the blurry photo of Bigfoot we're all familiar with is probably the product of a North Carolina ape suit specialist and a California con artist. Bummer to find out the photo is fake, but good to know if Sasquatch is real, there's a very good chance he's not actually blurry. Time suck. Top five takeaways. All right, we did it, everybody. Another time suck is complete. 
But don't stop listening. I have some more news, some exciting news. Several of you have written in asking how you can help out the show, and many of you have suggested some kind of PayPal donation button used by numerous other podcasts. Well, bam, it is here. If you'd like to donate to Time Suck, you can do so now. Just go to timesuckpodcast.com. Same, same place you find all these episodes, pictures correlating to, to each and every episode. Right at the top of the site is that PayPal donation button. When you click it, it asks about donating to Bad Magic Productions. That is me. Don't worry. Time Suck shows right under, uh, underneath that. Donate a dollar, five dollars, whatever you feel like donating to help the show out. Uh, know that your, your help and money is appreciated immensely. The money will go into a fund I will later use when it builds up enough for some new equipment and some other show upgrades. Uh, just know that I won't accept more than a million dollars. Uh-uh, 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 it's too much. If you want to donate $2 million, I want you to calm down. That is too much for one donation. You can donate $1 million, and then next week you can donate another million if you have to. Also, uh, there's another way you can donate to the show that costs you nothing. This is even better. costs you nothing. If you shop on Amazon, which I do for some things, I support local businesses whenever I can, but if they don't have something I need, and Amazon does, I order it from Amazon, a company I hear treats their employees very well. And if you're going to buy something from Amazon, bookmark timesuckpodcast.com. Use my Amazon link button. It just takes you right back to Amazon's site, just like normal. Use it just like you normally would. Or if you're using a phone or tablet, clicking on my button on my mobile site takes you to the Amazon app. And then when you order something, the show gets a little finder fee. See? A little finder fee, man. And finder fees add up because more and more of you are listening because you're talking about this podcast. I love that. So it's great, man. You get to buy yourself the same shit you were already going to buy yourself, and now you also get to help the show you love. You get to feel even better about buying yourself shit. Win, win. Finally, man, t-shirts are going to be here soon. Uh, they're at the printing press right now. Uh, next week, or looks like by the latest, the week after that, I'll be able to um, let you know about those. And, uh, and also, uh, tour dates. I'm going to be at Hyenas in Dallas, March 16th through 18th this weekend. Jacksonville, Florida, uh, the Jacksonville Comedy Club the next weekend, March 23rd through 25th. Hilarities in Cleveland, April 14th through 16th. Link to more tour dates, more podcast episodes, the PayPal, the Amazon buttons, all at timesuckpodcast.com. Keep listening, everybody. I'm going to keep doing my best to make this thing interesting and improve it all the time. And most importantly, time suckers, just keep on sucking. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you suddenly had an extra hour show up in your day every day, what would you do with it? Work out, sleep, read a book, play Fortnite, call your mom, take judo lessons, finally watch all the episodes of Shameless. A lot of us spend a lot of our time wishing we had more time. But why? Time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The bad news is that you're not going to get that 25th hour. But what you can probably do is reprioritize where you spend some of your time. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it with your time. This year, my health is more important to me than cranking out another stand-up special as fast as possible. So I canceled a tour, sacrificed that income, and decided to spend a lot of the time I just got back working out more, resting more, relaxing more, and enjoying time with family, friends, and just myself. 
and I'm so glad I did. I feel better than I have in a long time. And my BetterHelp therapist, Debbie, was very helpful in getting me to make the decision to pull back. Thank you, Debbie. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash TimeSuck today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash TimeSuck.